0: Hello and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. I'm your host Jesse Nussman, and on the other line, straight back from Barbieland, riding a nuclear bomb into our American apocalypse. Welcome, Bailey Jo Josie.
1: Thank you for having me. I was literally like dying to do to cover these two <laughs> movies with you that's why yeah I so ardently it's ardently tweeted you
0: <laughs> yes yes so it's been i think a pretty big great weekend at the movies for america it sounds like everyone went out and and saw at least one of the the two big releases of the weekend we are of course going to be talking about greta gerwig's barbie and uh christopher nolan's oppenheimer the joint movie double feature known across the internet as barbenheimer um Bailey, how 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 did you experience Barbenheimer? What what was your choice for first runner up on the the double feature? What did you close the evening with? What was your strategy?
1: So um, it was the greatest cinematic experience of my life. <laughs> um, even better than when I almost got kicked out of the theater when I saw Hot Rod in high school, and better than like going to see like Black Swan and then The Fighter back to back uh literally that actually sounds like a
0: really depressing double feature i don't know
1: it was fun because i was with my i was with my friends and we snuck into one of them (laughs) and we did the same thing with like girl with the dragon tattoo oh okay kids
0: but (laughs)
1: um no like literally as soon as it was announced that you know it would they'd come out the same day my spouse and i my husband and i we literally like we're doing this we're We're going to see both, and it's going to be a full day. It's going to be amazing. And as it got closer and closer, we decided that the best way for us to do it was to do Oppenheimer first Mm -hmm. at 5 p.m. because I did have to work. And um, we did 5 p.m., and that was the earliest we could possibly do because we saw it through Regal. (laughs) And I didn't want to do IMAX. I didn't want to go all the way to Seattle for IMAX. But Mm -hmm. Regal has RPX. So it's like, all right, we'll do that. And then we gave ourselves about an hour to get dinner. And then we did Barbie at 920. So we like did like a big blast of like, hey, we're doing this. Who wants to join us? Uh, Only his brother joined us for Oppenheimer. So it was just the Mm -hmm. three of us. And then um, a lot of people joined us for Barbie. Like a ton of people. My coworkers, friends of my coworkers, interns, interns. Friends at my work, my sister-in-law, one of my best friends, like, like we took up three rows, almost, and it was just incredible. It was amazing. I loved both of them so much, and yeah, it was like the best time ever. And we all dressed up, and a lot of people dressed up. I loved it.
0: So you dressed up as uh, which of the scientists on the Manhattan Project did you dress up as? <laughs>
1: well, that's the thing. I, I was gonna do like a like a. A 1940s suit thing uh-huh. um <laughs> but then uh, i have to pay to go to a wedding very soon mm. so all of the money after uh, i bought this barbie t-shirt mm-hmm. <laughs> do you guys ever think about dying from super yaki and then that was like my budget for my costume but i did crochet a sweater that is pink and brown with skulls on it so it's now officially my barbenheimer because it's kind of the two color palettes and death. <laughs> but um no, I, I really wanted to like do something super fun with that, but it was also like it just didn't work out, but that did not diminish what a great time I had.
0: Yeah, I almost wish I kind of saw it in in a double feature bill. My uh my journey through the week is so I went to uh an early critic screening for Oppenheimer they somehow which this does not sound like alone to me uh, a, a mere critic living here in Atlanta it sounds like this was across the country the Barbie screening was scheduled at the exact same time <laughs> and so it became this real like oh I have this like existential choice do I want to see Barbie or Oppenheimer and really had to search deep in my soul and um found that there was a black pit there and determined that that meant I was going to see uh Oppenheimer first so uh, went to the early screening to that. Came out, loved it. I can't wait for us to talk about it. And then, anticipating there was going to be a big surge of people going to go see Barbie this weekend, I figured the only rational time to go see it was Friday morning. I went to like the local, locally owned theater down the street from me, and was one of like four people in the audience that saw Barbie, um, which maybe wasn't a great kind of like raucous fun environment to experience that movie in um but then a friend of mine that night was like i really want to see oppenheimer will you go with me and so i went with her and i just got back from the theater seeing oppenheimer a second time this afternoon and 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 it was a pretty packed audience um and the theater that went to the the lovely plaza theater here in atlanta uh had like signs outside the theater that was just like fyi barbie is sold out all day um so just just to give an idea it the box office numbers are already out it sounds like barbie is a huge hit it's probably going to end up being you know the movie of the summer um and oppenheimer you know for a three-hour R-rated movie that's essentially mostly scientists and government figures like talking in rooms had a pretty great opening weekend itself I I, I believe I saw it sort of like the biggest opening weekend for a non-Batman Christopher Nolan movie so I, I, and and I helped Um. so Greta and Chris you are welcome Um. I believe we decided we were going to start off with Oppenheimer to talk about So this is obviously Christopher Nolan's biopic about physicist J. Robert Oppenheimer, who kind of helmed the Manhattan Project and the creation of the atom bomb during World War Two and is played in the movie by Killian Murphy. What what are your thoughts on on Killian Murphy? Because I you know, he's such an interesting actor of like, I've always found him really great, but. You know, unless you're weirdly like Peaky Blinders is maybe like the thing people most know him for now. But, you know, has had this long film career and has worked with Nolan several times, has been the lead of several Danny Boyle movies. um, But this really feels like an actor who has been underrated for a while, kind of finally getting like a big, meaty, juicy, like mainstream movie role um and and it it was just sort of like a thrill to kind of watch him in this movie but i I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are going to be having you know as we run up to awards next year are going to be having the Killian Murphy career conversation so maybe we can start it here now on on this podcast of just sort of what your Killian Murphy feelings are
1: I love Killian Murphy. I think the first thing i ever saw him in was Red Eye with Oh um... I'm 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 also older than you. But yeah. No, that Well, was, well that's that was... <laughs> that's an
0: interesting cuz like that's also a very important Rachel McAdams uh uh text for me and so you know it's it's I'm I'm be curious if you had the same sort of awakening feeling around Killian Murphy in that movie as I did about Rachel McAdams in that movie.
1: Um I don't know. I I remember he I saw it in theaters which was so cool. Like he's so like he's so great. I mm-hmm. I really love his talent and he's very kind of subdued as an actor. Um but no, I just remember like he it was literally like he's the next big star and then mm-hmm. people making jokes about how his name is Killian and he kill, he's like a murderer. <laughs> and I I distinctly remember reading his interview and he you could tell he was like, oh, I haven't heard that before." But um I yeah, I I've always been a really big fan. I think he's brilliant. I've only seen the maybe two seasons of Peaky Blinders, but um I mean obviously for him he's so great and then I love how I just love how um Nolan is obsessed with him and mm-hmm. like I'm glad that this is kind of the movie where he gets to be the leading man for Nolan. Right. Um but yeah, like he's really really great and I I love uh how he looks exactly like the comedy actor actress uh June Diane Raphael. Do you know who that is?
0: No, I don't. But I don't uh, look this up.
1: I think she I think she um the most popular thing she's ever been in I think is Grace and Frankie and she was also in um The Disaster Artist.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, yes. Yes.
1: But she's a podcast host and her dad Thought, saw a movie with Killian Murphy and thought it was her. Like they look exactly like, and I love I love that about him because it's not even related to him, but he's such a gem, and I love how, like not Hollywood he is, um, which I think makes him an even better screen presence because he's like I said he's like very subdued, which just works so well for him. Love him.
0: Yeah. So this is. Um as as much as on paper it seems like a pretty straightforward Christopher Nolan movie of you know it's it's a biopic it's a historical drama this is I have to say I think probably his most narratively ambitious movie he's he's ever tackled um I'm gonna attempt my best way to sort of explain the structure of the movie which is essentially like in typical Nolan fashion it is sort of multi-layered editing going on and Throughout the movie, um, very similar to you know Dunkirk, and he he has this kind of editing style in all of his movies, some sort of like triple cross-cutting, um, usually in some sort of big action sequence. But in this case, the whole movie is essentially cutting between these two um hearings, essentially one uh with Oppenheimer, and then a second one that's in black and white with a man named Louis Strauss. Uh, played by robert downey jr then obviously we get sort of another sort of uh plot line that's essentially flashbacks showing how oppenheimer rose up through the scientific community and the formation of the manhattan project and the uh sort of testing that happened out in los alamos in new mexico um bailey give me your sort of like immediate reactions kind of in in the days or hours since you've seen this movie and kind of what what you think about it now and what you think about it in kind of the larger Christopher Nolan filmography.
1: I think that um, I remember when I was watching it, I was like, all right, I need to really, really, really pay attention to everything because I don't know as much about Oppenheimer. Like I know kind of the most basic stuff, but I was like, all right, I'm going to have to really pay attention. And unfortunately that kind of took me out a little bit at the beginning. I like, I think that, The beginning was a little tiny bit rough, except for the glimpses of his mind working through the quantum physics, which was I really loved. But I once he got to Berkeley, I think it really I was like, okay, finally we're like getting there. And then I just I loved it. It was like it was so much drama, so much political like (gasps) like like um, intrigue, and then like you know the whole trinity sequence of the test and then the aftermath of the test to me felt was like just as like thrilling as any action film action film action scene he's done you know like i think that for me interstellar is his number one movie i really love interstellar like technically and cinematically and also emotionally And I think that this one is up like right on par. So I think this is probably one of his best. Um, And it, what was cool about it for me was I kept getting glimpses of like his past work, like Memento. A lot of the narrative was like, reminded me a lot of Memento, which was I think my second Nolan film. And then I just, uh, I really loved the characters and how, um, how like they were real people. And it kind of it was really interesting about that though, was like, I thought some of the dialogue was a little rough, but it's like, I kind of realized, oh, Nolan doesn't really do real people. I guess the closest is like building off the canon of Batman. But yeah, like I thought it was so strong and like I came away just absolutely loving it. I really, really loved it. Um, yeah, like, A, solid a (laughs) if i was still a teacher
0: yeah it's probably my i think i think right now after having seen it twice now i think it is my second favorite movie of his um i think dunkirk is probably i think the the best summation of like what he is capable of as a filmmaker um i am admittedly someone who has been a bit of a christopher nolan skeptic at times um, I'm always excited for what he has up his sleeve and what he has coming down the pipeline. um and I dearly love many of his movies. um I think there there are a handful of times though where I've like i I feel like his sort of ambitions as a filmmaker sometimes get in the way of the movie itself. um a kind of perfect example of this being you know, I was not someone who is that wild about Tenet. And sort of almost left that movie feeling like if you had just made like your version of a like Miami Vice by way of James Bond movie, like spy movie like that, that would have been incredible. Like this, this has all of your gift at spectacle just fully out there on screen, Um, but maybe feeling like his need to sort of like, well, I need to do some sort of like really complex structure in order to sort of elevate the genre I'm working in kind of got in the way and sort of feeling like a movie that was sort of needlessly complicated. Um and I think maybe why I like this movie so much is I think that complication works really well in a sort of historical biographical film. Um because you are dealing with this sort of shared history that um, Like you, I was only vaguely familiar with Oppenheimer of, you know, knew him as sort of like the head of the Manhattan Project and, you know, creating the the atom bomb. But a lot of the secondary characters in this, I really had no idea who they were, Um, really did not know that many details about Oppenheimer's life. But even then, I think Nolan's sort of scattered approach to editing in this movie and the way the sort of story unfolds and the way that different um plot lines and characters are mirrored or sort of contradict what you've seen from them in sort of other pieces of the film other strands other timelines um i i think that enriches it in a way and makes it a movie that sort of is able to wrap its arms around sort of the complexities of this very uh seismic moment in world history um and and sort of be able to sort of take in all the complicated contradictions of history that so often in a Hollywood movie kind of get sort of sanded out for sort of ease of understanding
1: yeah I I I also feel I I I'm in the same boat with you like I really enjoy his movies but you know I'm not above kind of I'm I'm not above like knocking him down a peg cuz like right. I I don't care about inception like at all. And then yeah. I I didn't see Tenet. Um mm-hmm. I I don't think it was even that came out 2020?
0: Yeah, there's was a pandemic movie. Saw, yeah, saw it saw in a and... dri- in a weird like makeshift drive-in. <laughs> That's Somewhere. how I saw
1: Inception. <laughs> And it rained and ruined the whole thing. But no, oh, like it
0: was raining when I saw it, <laughs> it too. Let's See, go. just just like Nolan, we're mirroring our experiences. <laughs>
1: um, but yeah, like I, I I lived in another country in 2020, and um, there was no real possible way for me to see it. So it was just like I you couldn't pay me to really care. Um, and that's and obviously like a lot of people had issues with it. So it's kind of like eh, but. Um, I think that he did a really great job, especially with like, kind of like for someone like me who doesn't, who didn't know a lot. I think by the end, I did understand a lot of things, which is good. You know, you don't want your fucking blockbuster film to be so esoteric, you know? Um, Yeah. I, I think it, I think it was really great. I like, as far as the, some of my critiques, I really got lost in the black and white color thing.
0: I think that's fair. I was having a conversation with someone at work today. Um, she had seen it pretty like sometime this weekend with her husband and had a similar complaint of being like, I got a bit lost in the whole Robert Downey Jr. Uh, section of the movie. Um, and I admittedly felt the same way throughout the first two-thirds or or just kind of didn't understand as as captivating as Downey is in that sort of you know try that that sort of bar of the the sort of three interweaving storylines um i i think i struggled through the first two-thirds to kind of see so why is this connecting? I know he has some sort of relationship with Oppenheimer, but it feels very sort of minor. But then I, I feel like as the movie gets into the third hour, which um I'm curious your opinions on too. I, I'm sure like me, you really enjoyed it since you loved the movie, but I've, I've noticed the third hour is where kind of people seem to be diverging in their opinions. But that third hour, I thought really kind of helped connect what that whole plot line with downey jr how that sort of fit I in totally and was agree. sort of important to the other two two that you were watching that feel like a more kind of standard biopic approach as opposed to like what is this weird like black and white section that is this like senate hearing for this guy who ran a committee that robert oppenheimer maybe like was somewhat involved in or something it it it, it felt like a this weird Greek chorus sort of um, thing, like in the first two thirds of like, it, is this only here so like we can have another narrator, but then I it, it really clicked into me. And I think there's there's a very expository moment where the movie really like lays down, like this is what's been happening and this is actually how this seemingly unrelated political thing actually very heavily influences like what you've been watching before.
1: Yeah, I, I felt like it was kinda like comparing like um all the President's Men, the film to the book. Because I read the book and then I rewatched the movie and I was like, and then it is <laughs> you know, because like, the book goes so in depth and this is based off of a book. Uh the mm-hmm. something America's Prometheus.
0: American Prometheus, this yeah. uh like Pulitzer Prize winning uh biography of of Oppenheimer. Um uh, which yeah.
1: and I think I think um Narratively, no one was working with that. Like I'm, sh- I'm sure the book was also written in kind of this way. But I, I really enjoyed the, the third act because so much of, so much of Oppenheimer's story is the aftermath of, of Nagasaki and Hiroshima, and I think, I think like maybe, people not quite tapping into that and having complaints about that with the third act it's kind of like just just think a little harder <laughs> but right. but for me with the black and white thing it that just threw me off a bit because I was like oh it's totally going to be like black and white is when the bomb drops but like it's, oh. and I, I and I was like oh that's a that feels a little gimmicky and then and then it came to be like oh it's Downey Jr. Strauss's perspective on things versus right. like reality, and it's like okay, that's very interesting. I don't know if it added anything to the movie though. Like really, like yeah, there's this whole thing with like he's actually a rat to Oppenheimer.
0: Yeah, but, I guess sort of uh, weird yeah. spoiler warning because oh, sorry. <laughs> it's, it, no, no, no. It's, spoiler it's, to it's history. More, it's the weird quagmire of this movie of like how much I've been wanting to talk about it with people and sort of saying like, well, there are there is stuff in it that would I think be considered spoiler of like I I like I did not see coming or like I did not know, um, and it's sort of my general, you know, opinion with kind of like biopics and historical dramas is like you know. It happened, so, like, we're free to talk about all of it, while also, in this case, I knew not a whole lot about these people and very little about Oppenheimer, so a lot of this stuff was just sort of, like, fresh in my mind, so, like, I knew nothing about Strauss, kind of, like, going in. I I had no idea who that person was, and so his relationship to the story and becoming a more, I think, nefarious character by the end i was not something i necessarily i didn't necessarily know how he fit into sort of the 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 framework of what we were being given as as a kind of like overview of history um to to me that aesthetic choice sort of it feels more organizational to me like seeing it a second time today it it really dawned on me like this would be even more confusing if this section was not in black and white. Like if this section looked like the other parts of the movie, I don't, I don't think I would be able to really keep track of, because all that stuff is sort of happening years after the other events we've been seeing in the movie. And so I think I would have found it even more sort of uh, disorienting, Um, even as someone who at times found the movie disorienting. But I think in those moments, even if I don't understand kind of like the jargon or necessarily the specifics about what people are talking about in a scene in this movie, I think the stakes of what people are talking about in all of these rooms throughout the movie is very, very abundantly clear. And if it's not, there's usually some sort of scene that I, I will, I will concede is sometimes a bit sort of on the nose, but I think intentionally on the nose for Nolan to sort of take a step back and be like, All right, I need someone to give a little mini monologue to like really explain so we don't lose any of the audience kind of like, what are we talking about here? Even if you don't understand the science, even if you don't understand all the sociopolitical ramifications, you need to understand kind of like who is on what side of each issue that that and each argument that is sort of being debated throughout the movie.
1: I just realized I think this is why he did it that way, because like you said, like that is such a good point of kind of the distinction of especially going back and forth. And that's also that was my second thought, like, oh, it's just Cold War versus World War and before. But Mm. then we do see the shot um, when he's in the not trial in that Mm. room and it's black and white. And I was like, wait, what? But now I'm just realizing he did. He did. Strauss's perspective is black and white because there is no way Nolan who has the biggest blue eye boner for um Killian Murphy is gonna end the film with that shot in black and white he 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 needs to see the blue eyes we all need to see the blue eyes I would not be surprised if that's like I'm like half joking but I'm also like no that's why he did it because he loves those blue eyes he literally—that's all he talked about in the commentary for Batman Begins. And if you watch that again, and you'll notice he literally takes his glasses off like every scene. Because no one was like, "I just love his eyes."
0: I mean, his his eyes really are so expressive. I mean, I, that's part of what I love about his performance. Is I think you really get a window into this—the the sort of inner turmoil of this man just through Killian Murphy's eyes. There, there's so many kind of wondrous close-ups of his like bony cheeks and and those those, like piercing like husky eyes that just sort of be seem to be carrying like the entire weight of the world inside of them um you know the two movies i thought about as as i watched this and that I've, i've heard people kind of bring up throughout the weekend um obviously the social network i think is very similar in terms of structure and sort of having these kind of like court courtroom hearings um or even if they're not in a courtroom sort of that they they have a sort of court-like procedure to them and these various characters kind of coming in and out and sort of then you see flashback sequences based off of people's perspectives um as well as both movies kind of being about insanely smart people who create something that then has horrible ramifications on the world and even though i think this movie is more like directly leaning into that why well, i think like the social network that's a little bit more of kind of a subtle undercurring you can get kind of with all we know about facebook now but i i could not help but think of like oh this is kind of his social network of like the movie about geniuses who make something they don't totally under they don't understand the power of what they've created and then it has disastrous results on the world and then the other one i've heard people bring up a lot that i couldn't stop thinking about the second time that i saw it Is JFK the Oliver Stone movie?
1: I I've heard that too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Which really sort of may at at first when I heard that comparison, I was like, is that kind of a dumb surface level thing of like Christopher Nolan going back and forth between black and white and color, just like Oliver Stone? But like, no. It it. I think both movies Stone is sort of looking at the JFK assassination as this sort of Rosetta Stone for this kind of like loss of innocence and kind of this collapsing moment of the 20th century and that's kind of what nolan's doing with the 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 creation of the atom bomb is and all the sort of experiments that went on out in the desert in new mexico and sort of saying like this is the sort of pivotal 20th century moment in american history and world history and there is sort of a clear like before and after and trying to sort of wrap his arms around all of this context and sort of feed it through this moment and sort of saying like all of this stuff, the, the McCarthy hearings, you know, the cold war, various aspects of world war two. It's, it's all kind of spun out of this one moment. Um, as well as I think kind of shares stones sort of cynical viewpoint on like the, the real evil people at the end of the day is just sort of government bureaucracy and kind of like, you know, in, in different men in uh in achieving power sort of having a kind of reckless disregard for kind of the world around them and kind of like the horrible ripple effects that that happen as a result of those people so i i definitely like could not stop thinking about jfk this the second time watching it
1: yeah i i've heard that too i have not watched jfk since like i was Maybe middle school, and I I barely remember it, but it's those are both really interesting comparisons.
0: That movie is one thousand times crazier than you remember. I I rewatched I it bet. like I rewatched it like a year ago, and was just sort of like, holy cow! I could not imagine the internet discourse around the This movie is playing so fast and loose with history, and is kind of amazing in that it is sort of like all. Factual nonsense, but is also kind of getting at this greater truth about kind of like America at that time and kind of this loss of innocence as a country. And I, very we don't gonzo. have to turn this into a into a JFK podcast, but I, <laughs> I, I would highly recommend revisiting it because it's so much weirder than you probably remember.
1: Okay, that sounds fun. That sounds very like Hunter Thompson, Gonzo shit. That yeah. sounds interesting. I, yeah, I couldn't. I, I can tell you very basic scenes i yeah i don't really remember it but it is an interesting comparison for me personally like i don't i don't feel compelled to compare it to other films besides nolan's other films mm-hmm. but i it it makes me think of like supplemental films so like you know eventually when i buy it on blu-ray like these are the movies i'm going to watch it in, like with and it's like um all of these movies that so perfectly paint post atomic bomb world which it's crazy it literally it changed everything you know every single thing can that in our modern world it traces back to it like literally it affected all the the steel in the entire world like the like you have to go digging not digging you have to go swimming and searching for old before times metal for certain building stuff oh my god i sound so smart but like it's 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 wild to me so it's like i think of like the original godzilla movie which is just a very 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 clear um reaction to it and you know all those scents and then obviously like dr strange love which is like i kept thinking like the black and white was like kind of a nod to that Mm. because nolan is also such a Kubrick fan Yes. Um but like it it's so wild and I feel like because of the subject matter it's for me the way my brain works it can't be compared to other out outer films it can only be compared to Nolan's films in terms of like um his vision of cinema and then just like because if if I try to look out I I can only think of the real world ramifications and like reverberations. Just, man, it's a great movie. I have a lot of critiques. I have, I I'm realizing, but yeah. I still really loved it.
0: Yeah, I think um the the two last things I want to say that like really really worked for the movie, and then I want to bring up something that maybe didn't work, and we can talk about some of the the larger cast because this is is a movie that is sort of stacked full of famous people. Some of which I did not even realize were in the movie, and you would just hear the, like. <gasps> Oh my gosh. Oh, no. Well, <laughs> I knew Josh Peck was in there. Um, but <laughs> uh the the last two things that I think really really stand out about this movie, I think the score um by uh Ludwig Ludwig, Ludwig? I, I, Yes.
1: Ludwig Goren, Gorenson?
0: Yes, you can say that so much better than I can. <laughs> I was like tongue head tripping head over. Head <laughs> yes. Um I I think it is is like easily the best score of the year um was listening to it in the in the car today um as well as i i think just again the editing in this movie which i'm a bit surprised that this is a movie that normal audiences are embracing like um my friend that i went and saw it with this afternoon kind of her first comment as she came out was sort of like i can't believe i found like three-hour movie that was basically just people in rooms talking to each other like so riveting and was like not bored for a second and it flew by and i think a lot of that is this really aggressive editing style that also reminds me of of jfk and oliver stone because that is also an even more crazily edited movie but this movie not just nolan intercutting those three different timelines so rapidly but also you know as you kind of hinted at cutting to Visualizations of what is going on in Oppenheimer's head, to also these kind of like surrealist um, sequences that I are uh, uh, are unlike anything. I think Nolan's. Re- I can't even think of a time where he's he's such a literal filmmaker in terms of like what he puts on screen that it it almost like threw me off a little bit. To like, oh, he's kind of doing some sort of surreal, dreamlike touches in this. Um, you know, I'm thinking of the scene where uh i mean there's so many of them but the one that immediately comes to mind is um oppenheimer giving that speech in front of the crowd after it goes off and then the the you hear like they're cheering the audio partially drops and then like behind him the camera is sort of shaking and then you're seeing like the the room light up with atomic blast and he's sort of having visions of people's like skin being ripped off and then at one point dreams of like stepping into like a burnt corpse laying on the floor um and i i just found all that exciting is just sort of like i haven't seen nolan kind of dip into even in a movie like inception that is all set in dreams i feel like the dreams in inception are meant to seem very kind of like literal and of in in par with our world and this felt like the first time he's really kind of dipped into something a bit more abstract which was kind of fun to see and and i i just enjoy a movie that is kind of willing to bombard your senses i also think kind of like hinting at that same scene the sound design in this movie is so good and it so keeps you on the edge of your seat and um really i think kind of captures the sort of swirl of chaos that's going on all the time and and the way he's sort of playing with when he's sort of cutting sounds in and out versus sort of like i'm going to now like cut to this other timeline to sort of put a little accent on what people are talking about here so you understand how these various different strands of history connect to each other i i just thought all of that was like totally brilliant was kind of in awe of it watching it a second time
1: yeah the part where like the background of him was kind of reverberating and like the sound design coming in that took me back to Batman Begins with the oh, scarecrow true. hallucination yeah. scenes. Mm-hmm. So again like a like that was something that I was like oh it's like him kind of touching on his old stuff which is pretty cool but I agree like um it's definitely I like that he's taking his his uh his abilities as a filmmaker he's pushing them because this movie it's so heavy like um And it's really trying to convey what's going on in the mind of this man who his work literally changed the entire world. And then he's trying to do, as it shows, you know, who knows like the actual like what he was actually thinking, like trying to do his best to make sure that it's mitigated in the future, you know, wanting uh, the UN to really take control of nuclear um, warheads and stuff. And you know, leading to Strauss totally screwing him over um, because he was too, uh, I guess, uh, mindful of the deaths that were caused. But yeah, like, I I really, really love that. And what's so funny is, like, yeah, I like, the sound design for, like, the sounds was perfect. And yet, like, I don't know why he makes it so you can't hear a lot of
0: the dialogue so it's so interesting you bring this up because in the first screening i wonder i have to imagine this is a little bit different i know this has been a nolan problem for years but i have to imagine this is also like theater to theater because both times i saw it were in two different theaters the first time i saw it had no problems hearing it but the screening i went to this afternoon clearly knowing having just seen it days earlier like certain lines was definitely like I know what that person's saying. Cause I saw this a couple days ago, but I can hardly hear it now. And so I, I, I think it's a sad example of kind of like the lack of consistency in some movie theaters kind of across the the country too. Of of just sort of, it, it, it was like a bit sort of shocking to me of like, Oh, I can like barely understand what people are saying sometimes or like the music and sound design is so overpowering of like what people are saying. Um, in a way that it wasn't when i first saw it
1: yeah like i remember that was like i with dark knight rises that was a huge thing like very early on was like people were like we cannot understand what tom hardy is saying and he had to go in and like fix that right so i guess it's just him still battling doing that battle um i've only been able to see this is only the second i guess Technically, the third Nolan movie, I've no, wait, fourth, sorry, fourth Nolan movie I've seen in the theaters, like, Inception was a total fluke because of the rain and the drive-in, um, and then Dark Knight was great. I had no problems with that. Dark Knight Rises was a little weird, and then this, uh, and I was, I, I definitely missed a few, like, key things. Like, to be honest, you know, the big, the big kind of climax at the end, his conversation with Einstein, I yeah. missed, like
0: half of what they said so that's so (laughs) i know i know that hurts so much because that's literally like such the perfect end cap on the movie to of like i was i was like this movie's really really good and then it gets to that i was like are we really gonna end with like where the strauss sort of plot line ends and then that I, i that scene with him and einstein at the very end is like one of the most like haunting things i've seen in in a movie in the last few years it was i mean i
1: I got the gist.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> and um, I also like, um, I was like, what did he say? Okay, he, he said that the, the world's going to be destroyed. I get it. <laughs> but yeah, I, I was a little bummed. I, I like, because I kind of missed that in the theater. Because I was fully like, I was going like this. So I would hear it. Like I'm mm-hmm. cupping my hand behind my, my hand behind my ear. So I could, I could do that. I could try and hear it. But like, for some reason it just kind of dropped. Um, but the, my husband and his, and my brother-in-law, they heard it fine, I guess. But yeah, like, I don't know. Uh, That's, that's the thing that makes me not want to see his films in theaters is that, you know, funky sound thing. Um, but it's also like my biggest regret is not seeing Interstellar in theaters, you know? So it's like, God damn, I guess maybe the closed captioning option next time I should just do that. (laughs)
0: i will say that really helped with uh when i revisited tenet and watched it like at home it was like oh i actually understand 25 percent more of this at least 25 percent of this movie like just by reading the subtitles was like i didn't know they actually like explained some of this stuff um one one thing to kind of like transition us into barbie i think and maybe this is an opportunity if you have any other people in the movie supporting players that you really wanted to shout out um you know i'd I'd say one kind of typical aspect of Nolan's filmmaking that maybe isn't isn't a positive that I don't know he he overcomes with this is um nolan's women? not a great writer of women <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. you know there's the infamous like dead wife trope um I think in in a larger sense like nolan kind of has trouble writing female characters that that work as characters and not just as plot devices. Um, And the two people that that really hurts in this movie is uh, Emily Blunt who plays uh, Oppenheimer's wife and then Florence Pugh who plays a young woman who he has a sort of like on and off again uh, relationship with throughout the years Um, and two characters that have both have very pivotal scenes in the movie but I found that those pivotal scenes sort of lost some of their impact just because those characters that they just don't feel like people like for example emily blunt gets this like very powerful speech um in one of the trials or, or one of the hearings i should say they're they keep, not like, trial this is they not keep a trial. Mentioning that they're not trials <laughs> but they essentially are working kind of as trials um you know she has a moment where she's essentially kind of like testifying and gives this speech and it's meant to kind of i think be this moment where you see her kind of coming to his defense even though they have this as kind of hinted at very complicated marriage but i almost feel like that scene sort of doesn't work for as great as emily blunt is because we really haven't been invested with their relationship very much and we the only few times we see her she's just kind of like drunk and screaming postpartum. about how like <laughs> yeah and postpartum
1: depression. has postpartum
0: yeah. depression or is like you know answering the phone when he calls or something like that and florence pugh's character for you know has this very pivotal moment that i don't want to spoil like kind of in the middle of the movie but up until that i i just kept thinking i love florence Pugh, but i don't understand this character at at all like what this seems like a weird kind of like this character was this is this like a weird tick that just like nolan's like well he did have a mistress. We should just have her in there and only give her a few scenes. And, you know, because everyone wants to work with Nolan, people like people are fine having kind of nothingburg parts, but I, I don't know at what it would you kind of think about that? Or were there any other kind of faults you saw in the movie? Cause I think I, I really love this movie. I think it is probably my favorite movie of the year thus far, but um, the, the female character thing was enough was just one, the, the big thing that as I was watching, it was like, Damn, he really cannot get this kink out of his system <laughs> and it's like it sucks that these two actresses that I really love are kind of like saddled with like the most poorly written characters and the most kind of like baffling scenes in this entire movie.
1: Yeah, I I what I what I came away with with the two female characters with Florence Pugh and Emily Blunt was they really were, um, which isn't great. That that I feel that this was what they were meant to be, but they were, you know, they were meant to fully, uh, sup- like add on to Oppenheimer's character, which isn't great. But I think that I think personally that they did it. They both did it very well. Um. So for example, with Florence Pugh, like you know, she she is a little. <laughs> She she's weird, like she doesn't make a lot of sense, but he obviously is captivated by her. And she's at the same time, very, very, um, you know, steadfast, like she she's a communist. And, you know, all the sex they have, she's in control of the sex that we see on the screen. And, you know, she put in her own way, she pushes him. And like, you know, the famous quote, the verse that he was became famous for because he said it when the bomb dropped was, I am become death. Like, she fully was like, say this to me. And we see him throughout the movie very kind of timid. Like, he's, he's very leftist, but he I never joined the Communist Party. Um, and, you know, he doesn't really have a really steadfast... He doesn't take a stance with things, and that's a big reason why Emily Blunt is so like "Ugh with him, like she tells him you need to fight and um, I think that in the aftermath, we do see him actually do that, and i it sucks that like these women are being used for him to find his gumption, like his real gumption but i I didn't mind that that was kind of their their character. Um, traits, you know, like uh, the Hindu verse, like I am become death hit her telling him to say that uh, while they're having sex. Really? I, I was really like, okay, I, I can deal with this because I was a little annoyed that we just see just her boobs and we don't see nothing of Killian, you know, you know there needs to be we need we need more we need more male genitalia you just want to see that full
0: killian nudity and like I need, 70 yeah. millimeter IMAX <laughs> I do
1: like i was really looking forward to it and then like even in their second scene they're post coital but they're all they're both in opposite chairs in this hotel room she's fully like very comfortable with herself she's very showing her true self she and she's a communist in the 40s like in America, right before McCarthyism, and you watch him, and he's sunk back into the chair. He has his arm fully over his stomach. He's like hiding himself, and then he get he he gets thrust into the this incredible Promethean godlike uh, status of the father of the atomic bomb, of like being literally the one thing that was keeping um, the H-bomb from being, like, implemented as a program, which was why Strauss had to, you know, get rid of him. Sorry, spoilers. But, like I, I feel like, I feel like those two characters, who were real women, like, I feel like with biopics like this, you have to, you kind of have to give a little grace with, like, depictions of the female characters, because it's like, if they're based off real people, like, you can't turn someone into, like, a superhero when they were just a regular person, you know. Um, so in this case, I think it worked for me. I just like I I I I uh I I do wish that there was some parody with the nudity. And um with Emily Blunt, I was really I was really interested in seeing her as a character who's so like hateful of her own children and yet he still loves her. <laughs> that was so interesting with to me, and like, kind of showed another side to him because he was a phalan- he was a womanizer. He cared deeply about things, um, and he cared for his children, and he cared for her. And yet, like, he set everything in course for like the world to end eventually. It, I, I, I'm I, personally, I'm not as upset about like that aspect but obviously nolan's not he's just not great about women you know which is why we have greta gerwig
0: (laughs) yeah so uh speaking of the other big movie of the weekend uh which is greta gerwig's uh barbie um what what's what summary can i give for barbie it's it's about barbie and it's about ken uh i guess i guess the 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 better description is uh there is a barbie world which is inhabited by all the the various barbies and kins and uh margot robbie plays quote-unquote stereotypical barbie um ryan gosling is i guess like stereotypical kin or I, I i guess is he beach Ken? because that's his job yeah, he beaches <laughs> he
1: he's stereotypical ben because he's matched with stereotypical barbie but he is based off of a kind of later ken
0: okay. um
1: but yeah like uh, Yeah, like beach, Ken. You know, like when you think of Barbie, stereotypical, you think of Malibu, you think of the beach and the
0: dreamers. So, uh... I'm sorry,
1: I need to know your background with Barbie.
0: uh i have a uh little sister who had many a barbie dolls and i think um many of those barbies took the same journey that uh kate mckinnon's character goes on <laughs> in this movie uh kate mckinnon playing a uh, quote weird barbie which is the barbie that kind of gets like played with a little too hard and like markers through her hair and like clothes are inevitably missing and she find we find her like at the bottom of the sandbox like in in a few months or something that's kind of what happened to all like my sister had a bunch of barbie stuff but then like inevitably like they would all just become like crazy weird barbie like they would just like show show up in like really weird places and like would look like some david cronenberg monster or something because they were just played with a, a little too rough but, they got
1: the Sid tre- treatment from
0: Toy Story. <laughs> y- yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Some of that probably had to do also with uh, her having an older brother that would mess with her stuff. But um, my sister did enjoy playing with her her Barbies. Um, so that's that's my rela- what's what is your relationship with Barbie? Well,
1: I am I am a female person that grew up hmm. in the '90s, so Barbie was really big for me. I really only remember three distinct Barbies. I had exercise Barbie who came with an aerobics tape that I made my my brothers listen to all the time. And then I had like a yo-yoing Barbie who is mm-hmm. featured in the movie. And then I had a, there were all the annual holiday Barbies. So I had a, I had a Christmas Barbie. Um, but I loved Barbie. And usually my memories of playing with Barbie was going to my friend's houses and playing with all of theirs like and that was always super fun because that's how i learned about like skipper and um kelly and uh all the little characters and stuff but oh and i had a tarzan and jane barbie and ken who who, you know uh despite not having genitals they got it on (laughs) you know they they had many sleepovers uh but yeah like um I loved like I re- I I don't seem like a person that really loved Barbie. Like I always I was total tomboy. I never wore dresses. I I hated pink. Um and I I like pink, but I don't have a lot of pink. <laughs> um now so dressing up in pink was tough for me, but I really really loved Barbie. And I was so excited and I be- like it this movie became my personality leading up to the release <laughs> like literally so um I think I think it's pretty cool because like with this movie because my other big thing is like comic books and we've been almost two decades in the comic book movies like mm-hmm. three decades and it's just like okay I I love comic books I love these characters I love you know all of the cinematic universes and stuff but like it's it's so cool seeing a a really well done Barbie movie. I have to say.
0: <laughs> yeah, i I had very kind of curious expectations going into this. When it was probably first announced, I was like, "Well, society is collapsing. We're we we got <laughs> we have reached the IP age where we're just sort of pulling stuff off the shelves and like, can we make the Uno card movie? Like that'll be next." Um and then Greta Gerwig got attached to it and that made me a lot more interested because Greta to me is one of the more exciting filmmakers to kind of emerge in the last few years I mean she's worked as an actress for much longer than uh, the last five years and you know has written movies like um, Francis Ha but um with Lady Bird and her adaptation of little women. I, I, I love both of those movies were among my favorites in the years that they came out and was sort of going into this of like, she, she needs to be protected. We need to like ensure that Greta Gerwig can sort of flourish as one of our great artists. So I was a little like excited and a little nervous. I think a little bit nervous in that, like, I hope this is not Greta gets sucked into the IP machine (laughs) <laughs> like what happens with so many kind of like young talented filmmakers. She, she also, is apparently
1: going to do *Lion*, *The Witch and the Wardrobe*, like the *Narnia* stuff.
0: Which I don't know how to feel.
1: I mean, I, I don't, don't know care how to about, feel. I don't care about yeah. that franchise, so it's like whatever, good for her. But it's well, also like it's, what you're saying makes me a teeny tiny bit nervous.
0: <laughs> and to be fair, I had that same thought when it got announced that she was doing *Little Women* after *Lady Bird*. I was sort of like. Do we need another Little Women adaptation? Yes. Like, and, well, and and then and then see the movie. I was like, oh, she had like a really like unique take into this material that feels sort of modern while also sort of connected to um it as this timeless story. And so there was a little bit of hope in the back of my mind that like, okay, she's gonna maybe she'll do something interesting with this Barbie movie. And then as we've gotten closer and closer, it got more of the the feeling through the ether of like no Greta's kind of made like a very subversive weird Barbie movie and I'm really fascinated to talk with you about it I would say I had a very fun time while there is also some things I'm kind of butting up against and don't know how to feel about so maybe we can work through those but um I would say yes she made her very weird subversive Barbie movie where barbie and can leave the barbie verse and go into the real world and discover that barbie has not made the world this like shining beacon of like feminist hope and then um uh, we can yeah we can um throw up a spoiler warning later in the in the episode if we want to talk about more details about what happens beyond that because i think what happens beyond them going to the real world is very heavily in spoiler territory but uh, what what did you think of Barbie?
1: I really loved it. I I it's right now it is my number one movie of the year. Um, okay, like Oppenheimer's Re- like if I could have, I guess I would have both of them, but Letterboxd only lets me do one, two. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I absolutely loved it. Like I I trust Ger- Gerwig as a filmmaker. Like I thought she did such a great job with Little Women. And I love hearing her talk about the process of making movies and her love of movies. And to me, she gives off a real like um, Del Toro vibe with her love of film and like Sam Raimi, who's one of my favorite directors ever. I feel like she has a real respect for films that I was like, oh, this is going to be great. I, I had full trust in her. And also with Margot Robbie, who's the producer who helped get it made and was a perfect Barbie I'm a huge fan of her and I knew that like no matter no matter even it even if it was a total total mess I would still love it because like if it's bad then it's camp you know <laughs> but like I I really really loved it I I I thought it was so funny I like literally our whole group laughed the entire time like it, it's on a very on funny laughs.
0: movie yeah.
1: So good and very, very great dialogue, great use of like every, every single part of a film. It, it blew away like that aspect of it. Like the sound, the production design, the costumes, the dialogue, the like the emotions, like the cinematography. I thought it was so great. And I, I let myself go on the pink ride. You know, I didn't, I usually I'm like, can't help but like try and think of like where's this going and I just didn't do that which that doesn't happen in a lot of films uh and to me that makes it very special because if I'm if I'm not aware that I'm like watching a film then uh I feel like that's a great way of like immersion um and I you know like they're looking back as I try to (laughs) find my favorite parts which is very hard like usually I always have like one favorite part in a film and it's like kind of hard to for me to pick one but um looking back it's like there were all these clues to like you know the big finale the climax with Barbie stereotypical Barbies you know her big life-changing decision and it was like I didn't I didn't necessarily see that coming and now it's like, oh, there are small, like, um, hints to that, that right before it did happen, I was like, oh, my God, she's totally gonna, uh, can I say, <laughs> I don't, can I yeah, say what can, she does?
0: We can throw up a, a spoiler here, here in a little bit. And then that okay. way we can, you know, talk about all the stuff in, in the, the wait. back half of the movie. Yeah. But, but yeah, I agree I, 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 I yeah i would agree with you i thought it was it was very funny um the one line i have to share that like made me like cackle the hardest in the theater is when um they're out in the real world and uh, a little girl calls her a fascist and she's like yes. I'm, I'm not a fascist i don't control the railroads or the yes. flow of commerce <laughs> that made me laugh so hard in the theater um and it's just like such a great greta line um I, I think so I really good. like this movie as in thinking about it just as like a pop summer comedy and as someone who misses summer comedies and I think both Robbie and Gosling are so perfectly on the right wavelength in this movie. Ro- Margaret Robbie, I think, has a really, really challenging part here and she's having to weave both being very winking and in on the joke of like i i know i kind of look like a stereotypical barbie and but also like apply some real emotion and like a real arc to that character and not have either of those two things like not have it dip so far over into campiness to where like everything's a joke but also kind of like having to keep somewhat of that kind of naive sense of humor in place even as her character is going through this sort of like journey of self-discovery um and Gosling i he
1: deserves an Oscar I will say I
0: I would agree He, he is my current like number one supporting actor pick right now of just not not even what he just every little bit no matter how small just like facial expressions every little line he does just like the way his like he stands in a corner is so funny in this movie (laughs) just like i almost like could not stop laughing at just like (laughs) any moment that it would cut away to ryan gosling and it is like you know it again it is like the i mean he doesn't quite have to carry the emotional weight of the movie in the same way that um that robbie does but it really is a great example of him kind of like internalizing the kind of like hey girl meme and just like turning it into like the the biggest sort of joke possible um I I I just he made me like laugh it's probably like I think like the funniest he's been or the most I've enjoyed him in something probably since the nice guys like which is also a very very comic performance by him
1: yeah I think that like from what I remember that's like his other big comedy performance and then he's a little funny and like remember the titans but he's usually like just romance or like drama but no he he's he's so good like like you said you know he has to do stay over with barbie she's like it's girls night and he's just sadly goes to wherever kens go and just does the little dance Fuck. It was so funny. I he was perfect. Like
0: him, him <clears> explaining <throat> when I don't think this is a spoiler at all because I'm not gonna give the context to it. But when he's um explaining why he calls his man cave the <laughs> what, what is it the the Mojo Dojo Casa House or something yes, like Mojo that. Mojo Dojo Casa
1: House.
0: <laughs> um, I like as soon as he said that, I I just sort of like was gonna like spit my Coke Zero out. Was like laughing so hard.
1: It was it was so great because like I, I loved I loved Ken's kind of um, take on patriarchy because it was real enough and concerning enough. But it was still like it was still kind of like um, it was kind of toothless. Whereas like, you know, I fully expected it to be like my man cave and it's like, oh, God, how like, oh, it's my man cave going to be in my man cave. But having it be Mojo Dojo Casa House was so funny and like really um I felt like be like, man, if we have to live in patriarchy, why can't it be a little like this? A little silly. <laughs> and I, I he he just did such a great job. And did you you've seen Blue Valentine, of course.
0: Yes, I've I've seen once Blue Valentine.
1: I had major Blue Valentine like throwback callback when he performs push by matchbox 20 and like he his ukulele scene he's like i I can't I take
0: that back that is the heart that is almost like i think the best joke in the movie it's very similar to if you remember the uh the dave matthews joke in in lady bird which is so specific i think to like only millennials could get that joke but also is like (laughs) I don't know. It's just such a like specific like mu- millennial music era joke that like I can see like you know so my, perfect. my 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 folks going to see it and being like I don't quite get that. I'd be like you you don't remember when that song was was big, <laughs> but it's like that's the right choice. <laughs> it's that, perfect. That Ken like, is in the Matchbox Twenty.
1: <laughs> his it's so it. I mean, most girls who've dated boys in high school anyone who's you know been down that path has had a dude serenade quote-unquote them with a goddamn like matchbox 20 type song it was so perfect and like his delivery of it which is what took me back to blue blue valentine like it was so funny and it was just like thinking back it's like that was kind of a long scene did it really need to be that long but it's like no that's That was perfect because when you're being serenaded by some dude who you kind of have a crush on, it is an eternity and a half. It was brilliant. So, so good. And then also Ken's uh, song, his big song, which I've been singing to myself nonstop. I loved it.
0: So I'll give a little uh, spoiler warning right here because I can tell you really want to talk about what happens in sort of the second half of this movie, so I'll throw in a siren here. Um, All right, so second half of the movie, so while they are in the real world, um, Barbie finds herself in the Mattel offices, which are run by all men, and and (laughs) most notably Will Ferrell. Um, meanwhile gosling gets to see the real world and see that um unlike barbie world where the men are kind of like where women basically run all of society and men are kind of like just you know handbag accessories um he sees that uh men you know that he he sees the in his eyes the joys of the patriarchy and then proceeds to go back to barbie land and lead a sort of like mini revolt with the kins where they make it basically just like they're a little brodom to yeah. to wallow in, um, and then there's this whole subplot with uh, America Ferreira and her daughter, and as humans who have to join in helping get Barbie back to Barbie World and sort of like to help overturn, yeah, yeah overturn the the kinness or the the kingdom, <laughs> yeah, as, <kin-dom>. as, as <laughs> the kingdom. Um, I. What what did you think about those two aspects of the movie? I I can tell already you seem to really like the um the sort of gosling and all the kins turn Barbie world upside down. What did you think about kind of like the meta stuff with Mattel and kind of the the mother-daughter stuff with America Ferrera kind of helping out uh Margot Robbie's Barbie?
1: I was pretty impressed that like Mattel was, you know, pretty like cheeky about like how they were being perceived um but which is it i i mean they i'm pretty sure they tried to sue aqua for their i'm a barbie girl in a barbie world song and the courts were like no you can't you can't do that i i was i was pretty like you know what good on them that's that's super fun um i i remember seeing like in the trailers like that aspect of it i was like oh that's going to like that's probably going to be the worst part but i i think it i think it was done pretty well it was it was kind of like we have to control the barbies like her like slipping out of the box was really fun i i like i thought it was i i didn't hate it um like but i thought it was going to be like a really shitty aspect of the movie and i thought it was like kind of small enough and uh that it was kind of like fine. What's interesting is with the America Ferreira part, like the mom-daughter thing, it's like I've been on TikTok since I saw the movie and there's a lot of TikToks about how people were like, I need to call my mom. I love my mom so much. And I'm like, what? This wait, there's mommy issues in this movie? I d- that's it totally, so
0: interesting because that it totally went over part of head. the movie did not work for me at all. So that's so interesting that that people are like really connecting with that part of the movie.
1: I yeah, I think it's a, I think it is interesting, but it's like I I didn't play Barbies with my mom. Mm-hmm. Mom had nothing to do with Barbies for me and my friends. So I feel like maybe that was kind of a younger thing. But it's also like I think that I think it's a nice thing to look at like generational. Stuff, especially tying it in with Ruth Handler making Barbie in her daughter's image. I mean, like, I hope I made Barbie because I want my daughter to live in a world full of potential. I think that was a nice tie-in, but like, um, for me personally, it was like kind of like, oh, that's that's a nice thing, but I didn't like connect to that at all. um And but we also like it totally makes sense with how how people who are American. Prefer- Ferrer's age, like Barbie's been around since the 50s, it makes sense to have that generational thing with her as opposed to like a Gen Z kid, Gen Alpha kid relationship to Barbie, especially because there are shitty things about the the legacy of Barbie. Like literally her proportions. I just read this like in the 80s and 90s, literally little girls would get eating disorders trying to look like Barbie and that sucks. <laughs> and that's also kind of why, like for so long, it was like, Oh, Barbie's misogynistic. Barbie's this, Barbie's that. And it's kind of become an, people have kind of come around to like, but Barbie owned a, her own house and her own car before real women could have credit cards, you know? Um, so I really appreciated that aspect of it. I just think it's interesting, like, wow. Uh, but when I think Barbie, I don't think mom. <laughs> so that was an interesting thing for me. And I kind of like that because there are different perspectives on the doll. And I think they were all kind of covered in the movie. But yeah,
0: yeah. I, I think it kind of is an interesting segue to sort of more, the part of the movie that maybe has me a bit conflicted. Um, And I think as as i said earlier i think as a movie going experience i had a really fun time but then as a movie that is sort of very aggressively trying to be about something i think i've really wrestled with what that what those themes are i think i think it's it's no surprise to say this is a movie that is like very aggressively trying to sort of put its um flag in the sand as a sort of key feminist text as a sort of anti-corporate text um And as much as I sort of, like, really admired Greta Gerwig's ambition in this movie and sort of, like, am kind of cheerfully amazed that, like, she was able to do such an idiosyncratic weird movie, like Trojan Horse in this IP property, there becomes a point in the movie where, like, I have a hard time kind of separating her artistic ambitions with sort of Mattel's own kind of hip quote-unquote hip corporate brand management and an interesting aspect to this movie is i i think it is kind of trying to say something um particularly with like the mattel ceo men um about the way that kind of like corporations try to embody these kind of progressive principles but then sort of but only in kind of this sort of masked way of like trying to get your money from you and then behind closed doors like they kind of don't believe any of that stuff they don't believe what they're saying and i just kind of as the movie sort of went on kind of found it harder to kind of be like i don't but that is also kind of what this movie feels like to me is this it it this is kind of a movie that is trying to be about you know the the patriarchy and the sort of roles between men and women in society and about kind of corporate structures trying to sort of like jump on that language and sort of push a product out and i think there's some really fun kind of lampooning of the barbie brand but also i've sort of found it difficult at a certain point to be like but also is that like kind of mattel sort of trying to kind of seem hip of like we know all the criticisms you have of Barbie and we're willing to make fun of ourselves, but also Barbie's awesome and you should go buy Barbie. And so that's kind of how, like, as I was watching the movie, I was having a really fun time. And then kind of in the days since I saw it, it's been kind of wrestling through my mind of sort of like, is this sort of like, Honda putting that punk rock song I like in a commercial to sell cars or something like that, or you know, like the company that will like put the sort of like pride flag on their cereal box, but then like you hear their CEOs making like homophobic remarks and some like leaked audio or something like it, 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 this kind of like point that I'm making sort of sort of makes sense of like that's sort of the 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 headspace I've been li- living in is like is is Barbie this sort of like cool punk text disguised as corporate ip or is it corporate ip pretending to be cool punk text
1: i think that's a, and maybe that's
0: something i don't have an answer for but it's just I something think, i've been thinking i think about. that's
1: totally fair like um there is a real problem with consumerism i think that i don't think the, the film's necessarily meant to be groundbreaking in terms of like real social issues because you know they fix <laughs> they fix uh, patriarchy by, um, first off, Barbie land is, this, this is where I laughed the hardest, <laughs> was when um, the Congress Barbies uh, fully rewrite uh, U.S. history from 200 years ago and make it so that um, corporations are not people and that, <laughs> that it is a true democracy and not a plutocracy, which is, you know, how we got to where we are now. I think that it's meant to show um, a really fun, idealized world. Like I would give anything to live in Barbie land. I'm not the biggest fan of all that pink, but I can deal, (laughs) you know, like as a, as a a cis woman living in this world, it's like, God, what, what, what an actual dream it would be to have real power in this, land and then just like yeah you know it kind of sucks to be a ken but you know the barbies aren't dehumanizing the kens they're not like doing horrible things to the kens like what happened to women every day by men and i think that asking expecting or asking the movie to really like kind of change society in that way is is never going to happen because like you said, it's like a a big IP. And I think that with Mattel as kind of being willing to poke fun at itself and its corporatism is really just kind of how things are going in every aspect of our world. Like, for example, like, you know, we have Beyonce, who is a great singer, great performer, a billionaire, you know, but her last album, she's singing a song about Working a nine to five, you know, like billionaires and people who are in charge are very aware of the social change of people like really being fed up with capitalism um, and are really doing all they can to kind of rework that. Like you see influence, really rich influencers Doing their thing where they're no longer looking like they're billionaires, but oh, I'm just in my car and I'm making a video, which is like very like uh hello fellow kids kind of thing. So I to to me with that, it's kind of like the 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 like uh ozone layer of patriarchy and capitalism is so huge that no matter what, um there's always going to be that kind of thing that you're wrestling with with that. You know, it would be a completely different movie if it was like really going hard at that. But then when you have something artistic, that's like that, you have Banksy doing defunct land and it's just kind of like, okay, we get it. (laughs) Like Disney sucks. (laughs) But, um, I think that's totally fair. Like I, I remember watching it and kind of being like, yeah, the little girl's totally right. Like, you know, consumerism is such a huge problem and there's a lot of waste that comes from Barbies. Um, and you have to be very, very prescient of like corporate greed, but also corporate whitewashing. And I can definitely see this being being part of that, but it's also like, it's a comedy. And I think that it's meant to, for people who love Barbie, who are oppressed and regressed by patriarchy to just have a good time and feel seen. Um, but yeah, that's my take on that.
0: Well, we've almost reached the the hour and a half mark, but and I know we could probably talk about these movies for two more hours. Um I don't Easily. I don't know that I don't know that people would lit Do you think people would listen if we had like a 4-hour podcast on on all of this stuff?
1: If we went into detail about how we wanted Killian Murphy scrotum to look, maybe.
0: And if we sang all, or Orb, me, uh, we sang the entire Matchbox Twenty discography. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that. if we
1: if we just talked about like the the concept of like every every interaction a little girl has with a Barbie changes that Barbie in Barbie Land. <laughs> I thought that was fascinating. I I, I liked the way they kind of handled that. Um, yeah, it was it was cool. I enjoyed all the um, yeah.
0: little like inside jokes to sort of failed Barbie products of, of your and then like in the end credits sort of bring up like, no, really, this was something they really put out the Barbie that sort of like you could make you could like action pump her boobs to grow or they really made sugar daddy Ken and all of this like crazy stuff that you would thought was just a joke for the movie. Um Well, Bailey, thank 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 you for, for joining. I wish wish we could have longer to to talk um next week on the episode you know i think we're gonna kind of uh take a step back from the fun of barbie and kind of fun of oppenheimer um to maybe talk about something a bit more serious because uh since the last episode we did the actors have gone on strike and i was gonna bring it up on this episode but um since we are pushing an hour and a half i do not think i could do that subject justice so i think we're gonna kind of blow that out since that's really kind of the bin the biggest entertainment news i think of the year is sort of the joint strike between the writers guild and sag and kind of exploring what they're asking for what are the issues sort of at the center of this and kind of what does it mean for the next several months of our popular culture. What does it mean for the next several months of our movies and kind of what does it say about uh, the inter- the people who make our entertainment kind of going forward? So uh, something I wanted to acknowledge because it was really big news that has happened since the last episode that dropped, but um, kind of wanted to wait for uh, a future episode to kind of really dive into it in the, the detail it probably deserves.